Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Donaldson Files. This is Tom Donaldson. Uh, Coco Koski will not be here tonight. She has a funeral to attend. But tonight we're going to, uh, we're hoping that we have Jim Eccles joining us immediately. And we are going to be expecting uh, uh, Professor Wolf O'Reilly and Delroy Murdoch are scheduled to come in as well. Uh, we're going to be talking about the legacies of Martin Luther King and where we go from here. And, and, and so, like I say, Wilford, is, you know, so so far, Jim, you're the only one who's now here. Welcome. Yes, well, I'm here, and thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now, all right. Um, I mean, I just say you know, we'll introduce the other guests when they come in, but um, now you basically, you know, I have to be honest with you, you're one of the guys whose resume can it could be it's like War and Peace, reading the whole thing. I mean, you've been in two, you've been in two administration. You've worked for two governors, in two separate states with two separate political parties. You've campaigned for two separate political parties. You got your own company, and you're also, and what you got is a, you're a member of the Council of Advocates with the Martha Luther King Center in Atlanta, Georgia. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, and uh, first of all, it's an honor to have been. Uh, uh, recruited and, and asked to join. The Council of Advocates uh, is a group who are uh, geographically spread out across the entire nation, and they are basically uh, somewhat of ambassadors for the uh, MLK Center in Atlanta, and they live in various areas. Uh, I'm in uh, Kansas City, uh greater Kansas City area. There are others that are West Coast, Midwest, as well as East Coast. And we try to take the best of the center and the legacy of Martin Luther King forward to the areas that we live and serve in. And we try to bring in trends and ideas from our areas back to the center itself for considerations as far as programs and as far as philosophies and trends that might be a benefit to the uh, national and international organization. Oh, yeah. Well, all right. Um, so how did you get invited to this? Well, I've, uh, I've been pretty active uh, as far as civic uh, business and government in the greater Kansas City area over the years, and I've met a lot of people here and people who have networks established, uh, either business school or social networks throughout the country, and and somehow in those associations, uh, uh, my name was recommended to uh, some folks at the center who uh, basically followed up and contacted me and invited me, but it's basically... Uh, the result of being, first of all, uh, civically engaged continuously in your own area 
and then somehow just through networks being recommended. And I was, you know, I was honored. And uh, Martin Luther yeah. King has always been a hero of mine over the years. <clears throat> All right. Okay. We also have Professor Wolf O'Reilly. He is the pro- an associate professor at Kentucky State University and the author of the book Taboo. Uh, ten things we are not allowed to talk about, but you know, Wilf Riley does indeed talk about them. Uh, welcome, Professor Riley. Yeah, great to be on the show. Yeah, and like I say, we're still waiting for Delroy Murdoch, but we're going to go ahead and get started. I'm going to start with okay. you, Jim. Of Martin Luther King's legacy, what comes to your mind? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind, of course, is the fact that he was a Baptist minister in the South during the height of the civil rights uh, era. That's the first thing. And then the next thing would be his position in philosophy regarding nonviolent protests. And I think these are things that, to me, have stood the test of time uh, as far as nonviolence. I think we still have a better outcome when we can actually have discussion and establish dialogue between races, cultures, et cetera, in a nonviolent format, I think it's still in the best interest going forward. Okay, Professor Riley. Yeah, I'd agree with a lot of that. I think that the thing that's notable about Dr. King is the extent of his legacy. I mean, this is a guy that you're talking about as, you know, a top five contender for, you know, the title of greatest American ever. I mean, Martin Luther King and John F. Kennedy, who he ended up becoming friends with after some early clashes, are pretty much responsible for the U.S. Civil Rights Act. I mean, we think about the march through Selma, the uh, what could have been a confrontation on the uh, Pettus Bridge. I mean, the images of the civil rights movement from the kids praying, holding Bibles to, you know, people fighting off police war dogs. I mean, all that is Dr. King. Dr. King was the most recognizable figure from the black civil rights era and because of that he changed the country we live in today and i i agree with jim a lot of that is the advocacy of this idea that we are all countrymen at the time most people were christians the way to work things out is conversation rather than violence i mean you had malcolm as the alternative mm-hmm. yeah i get okay, yeah I, you know the thing is i i got like i say both of what you guys are saying here you know i would agree with as well and I find it interesting because here's the, the, the other aspect to me, which we don't really talk about, but it came out of the 1950s. And, you know, it, and basically, Dr. King was part of that greatest generation ever. You know, when Mar- I mean, we don't tend to think of America, the, the greatest generation as far as civil rights go, but I mean, it had its formation within the greatest, in the post-World War II, the greatest generation, uh, this, you know, the, the desegregation of the armed forces in the late 1940s by Truman. Uh, the first Civil Rights Act was 1957. And then, you, obviously, you had the, the Civil Rights Movement throughout the 1960s. And so you both of you have made, I want to kind of say, there was to be, there was an agreement on what America should be and what it should promise to be. And I think, there, you know, to me, Martha Luther King, you know, emphasized that, hey, we are part of America. We need to be part of the American dream. But there was an understanding, as you stated, that we all knew what that meant. Well, sure. uh, with, uh, Jim, what's your thoughts? Well, I think, uh, I think 
we find even now, and we've seen some things just in the past year, tell us that though we've come quite a distance as far as opportunity for all, it reminds us that we still have a ways to go in order to, you know, complete, you know, the desired uh, outcome that we would like to see. And I think if you go back during King's own time, you know, we were the world leader in the idea and the concept of democracy, yet there were so many shortcomings here at home domestically as far as opportunity. And so right now I think we're, you know, we've moved and made some progress since then that's notable, but at the same time we, you know, we still have a lot of work to do, and I think it's going to take the involvement of everybody, right and left, black and white, uh, et cetera. It's going to take everybody engaged and everybody's uh, own particular brand or ideas are to be considered at the table. Well, hold on to that thought. I'm going to have Dr. Uh, Dr. Riley give his views on that as we come back from here, the Donaldson files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Greetings and great day, everyone. I am Elder Janelle Strickland, host of the Life Cafe Radio Broadcast from Maximizing Life Family Worship Center. I invite you to tune in every Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. Tune in, maximize your life with the Word of God, and be blessed. Only on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Yeah, the Bachelor News Radio Network dot com. I mean, get your pens and pencils out, ladies and gentlemen. Bachelor is spelled B A T C H E L O R. The Bachelor News Radio Network dot com. You can join anytime. You, if you want to listen to any of your past shows, including the Donaldson Files, you can go on the Bachelor News Radio Network dot com and listen to it anytime. Also, you can call. Today, 646-929-0130. If you want to participate, 646-929-0130. Okay, uh, I'm gonna, okay, Professor Riley, I'm going to bring you in. Yeah. Uh, kind of comment, let me say, uh, let me ask you, like I said, the point I make is, you, you kind of made a point, and I'm trying to follow up on that point, is there was an understanding what, was a, what America should be. And what goal, you know, and, and while we had shortcomings, we also had an agreement of what we were striving for. And and I guess part of today is I don't see that today. I don't see a unity on thought of what America truly is. That you essentially, not, it's not just about, you know, two political, it's in many ways, if you sat back, I, I guess the one I'm trying to say is this I don't see at this point in history that we truly have an understanding of what America is representative. I know you've been, you're part of a group, uh, 1776, which was in many ways the counter to 1619. And, and, and there in between those two groups, the group that you, that you represent in the 1619 project, you got two separate visions of what America is. Your thoughts. 
Yeah. So I think like I read a book recently about the greatest generation and the author, one of the TV newsmen, actually, maybe Rather, uh, made a point early on. You can we use the term the greatest generation. But in a sense, this might not have been the greatest generation. Was it greater than the generation that you know fought the Revolutionary War? Was it greater than the generation that broke Hitler? the generation of black Americans that secured civil rights, although you tied those two together. Um, instead, he said this was to some extent the last traditionally great generation. That's not to take anything away from the space race or something like that. But for a long time, we did all have a shared view of the USA to some extent. And a lot of that's because we had shared life experiences. I mean, there were three television channels. People still today talk about Cronkite and Brokaw. I just brought up one of these guys. You know, it was expected as a male you were going to be some sort of athlete for your town school through high school. Then you were going to do your four years in the U.S. military. That was almost unavoidable unless you were a conscientious objector. I mean, there are companies like All Steel that combined employed about 10 percent of the people in the country. So there's this very shared idea of what we were. And that, to some extent, we had a lot of serious problems, a lot of racism among all groups, certainly among whites, the dominant group. But it, we could see that this is a problem, that everyone agrees you should have the right to go out and compete for a job, and that's not happening in the South, so let's, let's fix that. Today, I think that you're right. I mean, I think in the social media era where you've got 10,000 different platforms, if you just look at the podcasters on YouTube with more than 10,000 followers, you know, you don't generally have that shared varsity experience, that shared military experience hasn't been mandatory since the 70s. I don't just want to ramble on with this, but you have a lot more views of what the country is. And this is actually pretty problematic because when you talk about issues today, for example, the fatherlessness rate, uh, out of wedlock birth rate is 55% for working poor white kids, about 75% for working poor black kids. It's hard to identify one enemy and just say, well, that's that's racism or that's a few rogue states like to a large extent now like the threatening call is coming from inside the house like these are problems that exist within different groups as people break away from that idea of one america and one thing i think a lot of people would love to do actually is get back to that um the 1776 does kind of promote that idea that you have a you know honest but fairly patriotic curriculum and you expect certain things of citizens and so on but there are also obviously people that disagree with that who favor total multiculturalism in the U.S. And I've looked at Russia and Yugoslavia, and I don't, I don't think that would work. Okay, uh, Jim, your thoughts? I agree with uh, much of what uh, what Professor uh, Raleigh uh, had to say there. I think the 1776 is more in line with my own general philosophy I'm still trying to delve into reading and learning more about the 1619 perspective. But 1776 is something that I'm more familiar with. And though I find, uh, you know, cracks in the armor, so to speak, I uh, subscribe mostly to it. I think right now uh, what we have in the nation, we've got a, group of individuals who have been disenfranchised in the past who are feeling enthusiasm and they are feeling themselves rising in the nation as far as uh, economic and social power and they're ascending and they feel it. They're excited about it. We have a group, a dominant group that has enjoyed power and privilege 
for hundreds of years who are now very threatened by the competition with this ascending group. And therein is a major conflict, and it seems to rip right now along political lines as far as polarization, racial, cultural, gender. We got all these things going at once, along with the current health pandemic and the racial strife and so on. So it's really something that's unusual that we haven't seen. So I think uh, I think as bad as that is, I think it does literally force us to rethink how we do things and how can we all come together to at least start a discussion to be in everyone's interest. So let me follow up on a point, uh, Dr. Ryder, you made. You, you talk about the family structure issue. And I, and I, and I know you made – and I want to kind of congr- follow up on a point you made because, you know, this is not necessarily a racial issue per se, but it cuts across racial lines. You know, poor whites, uh, I mean, and certainly are seeing the same aspects of poor, you know, blacks and Hispanics have got similar numbers. And, and certainly, this is one of those issues to me that is not going to be solved by government issues, government policies per se, but a much broader society, cultural change or reach or rethinking. And, and maybe the question is, how do you get to that point? Or do you just wait till it collapses even further? Yeah, so I I think if you're directing that to me, that's an interesting point. So, for example, I mean, as Reed Jim's point, like you're seeing people in the streets and you're seeing people challenging the established order. I mean, that's obviously true. Only a fool would deny that. But what's interesting is if you look at the crowds and the riots in, for example, Minneapolis, uh, Portland, even the right wing stuff at the Capitol, they're about 70 to 75 percent white. So we're seeing a really interesting dynamic here, which is that. I don't think anyone denies that black people on average are more likely to be poor because of past oppression. But the reality is that a whole lot of Americans right now are being told a narrative that's very different from the traditional American yes-you-can narrative. And obviously that was always a bit too cleaned up. That was always a bit the polished schoolboy thing that we told kids whether it was true or not. But there's a great deal of truth to it. Right now what we're seeing – is the rise of sort of this alternative narrative, the 1619 narrative. You know, the country began in evil. Uh, African-Americans were oppressed. Natives were oppressed. Irishmen were oppressed. Women couldn't vote until 1920. This should be the focus of our educational system. And you're seeing a second level here is that that appeals to a lot of young people, especially young men, who haven't had that traditional training process, which you could include, which might include, for example, a father in the home, you know, religion, go to church once a week, a good local school, athletics, the military. So you've got all these people that no longer, either because of their own decision or because of failures in society, have received those services. And they're hearing this story that especially for blacks, but really for everyone, if you're a woman, if you're gay, if you're of Irish or Italian descent, the country is naturally wicked. And that's going to prompt you to become extremely angry, and that's how you get these diverse crowds in the streets fighting the police. Um, my own take on that philosophy is that it's good to be a little cynical. It's good to know that what you know the boss man tells you isn't always true. 
But there's not really a reward at the end of that tunnel. I mean, if we accept that the USA is an inherently evil society and if you really internalize the idea that you probably can't be rich, you know, some of the things that the BLM website says pretty openly, I don't really know where that's going to get you in life unless a socialist revolution actually happens. But, um, you know, Tom, when you talk about family structure being one of the yeah. things that ties into this, yeah, that's obviously one of the most dramatic changes. And I absolutely agree this isn't a black issue. Like I said, the rate of uh, fatherlessness is 40% for whites. That's before we break it down into Southern or poor. But that's one of those dramatic changes that's happened pretty recently. A lot of people feel that even that core, when I talk to young men, even that core element of stability, which is like your dad at home, your first job, that hasn't existed. And that leads to a lot of anger that can be translated against the general society. And it's a tough question to fix. I mean, I don't know if there's a governmental solution to, you know, dad not sticking around. No, right. Well, here's the thing. I mean, you know, I'm not fun because, you know, when you look at the data, you know, Regardless of race, I mean, I could, you know, one of the things I found was interesting, I could always go back to data, I could over years ago, like in the 1970s, you know, they would sit back and say, what's your chances of living in poverty or children living in poverty uh, in a single parent versus uh, two parent household? And they were invented. And those numbers have not changed. The only thing that's changed is that we've seen a higher number <laughs> of single parents. But when you look at the percentages, I mean, you literally could take a graph from the 1970s and it would look the same today as it did then. Percentage, you're more likely, you know, you're like three to five times more likely to live in poverty as a single parent versus a two-head household, and that has an impact on the economic side of the equation and the inequality side of the equation. Yeah, and, and it's an issue. Yeah, go ahead. I'm gonna have you. Professor Riley, then I bring you in, Jim. Go ahead. Yeah, just very quickly, because, I mean, I, I did the last comment. I, I want to hear what you and Jim have to say as well. But, like, this is such an issue that it's affecting a lot of measurements that we look at in society that are important. Like, one of the things the white racialist alt-right keeps saying is even after integration, black, quote-unquote, IQ scores and scores on tests like the SAT are lower than the white scores. We've caught up. We're now over 950 on the SAT, but there's still that gap. One thing you have to look at if you're going to look at that is that there's a really substantial 10% gap between kids with fathers in the home and kids that don't have those. So the things that happened – this actually is my point. The things that happened after integration, like the giant riots in black and working-class white urban communities or the adoption of these kind of woke Afrocentric educational standards, or just the dads leaving, the no-fault divorce, the things that were done to the child support laws, these have had effects so big that to some extent they've countered the effects of the anti-racism laws. Like if you look at black kids in two-parent families today, you're looking at people that have a far higher level of income, that are doing far better on the board tests, than really any black people are doing in 1950 or 1960. But the effect of that is being modified by the fact that there are so many kids, unfortunately, that are growing up in government housing, that are growing up without fathers. And of course, they're not going to do especially well in school, just like their Caucasian equivalents, bluntly. So again, you, the question is how to fix that, how to fix the real problem, which isn't really caused by something as simple as racism today. Okay, Jim, your thoughts. Yeah. And I agree 100% with what uh, Professor Riley just had to say, and I will uh, go a little bit further and say that 
obviously just you know just looking at numbers if you've got two parents or two adults i'll just say two adults well you know whether they're biological parents or whatever if you got two people in the household there's a greater chance that you've got more income uh between those two than if you have one obviously and so even that can make a tremendous difference as far as supervision and latch key, that type of thing, it makes a, a difference. And so it's going to be much better. I was in a conversation about a month ago uh, with a lady who uh, actually wanted to have, it was a conversation, but she wanted to debate me on the fact that the reason we don't have more two-parent homes in African-American communities or families is because the criminal justice system, law enforcement, is putting the available young men in prison, and so they're not available to get married. And I told her, though I had no scientific data to back it up, that was not my belief. I did not believe that the lack of two-parent households was attributed to people in corrections or in prison. I believe it was choices that young people are making as far as making commitment and taking on personal and individual responsibility. I thought that was driving the difference. Yeah, hold on, Dr. Yes. This is Tom Donaldson uh, with Dr. Riley and Jim Eccles here on the legacies of Martha Luther King and where do we go from here? Uh, if you want yeah, real discussions on politics, social issues, racial issues, and other topics, then tune into the Bachelor News Radio Show. Listen live every Monday and Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. And if you miss the show, you can listen every Monday through Saturday at 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern and every Sunday at 5 a.m. and 3 p.m. at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Listen and be informed. Welcome once again. This is Tom Donaldson here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We got Dr. P- uh, Wilford Riley. We got Jim Eccles. We're talking about the legacy of Martin Luther King and then, and how we move forward from this point. Here's the thing. My thoughts is is that is I said I go back to the point where there are certain things. You know, family structure is one where government policies are going to be at best very little impact. I don't care how you make the tax policy or anything else because this is a because you're going something deeper. I mean what makes a family become a family is when a man or a woman falls in love and they make that commitment to marriage or you know to each other. And and they and that's an aspect that cannot be dictated by government policy. And so the question to me comes into play is that there's a larger cultural side of this equation that I don't know how best to deal with, but it talks about it's again religion. It you know uh, certainly within the black community, religion has been an integral part of their lives more so than even with the white community. There was a Pew Research group that basically had, uh, I think years ago, a study where they said you know the you know sixty one percent of blacks will go to church versus forty five percent whites. So they're much more active in church life. And and this has been a central center. And certainly when you look at the civil rights movement as as Jim pointed out, you know, it came from the religious side of the equation. 
You know, they were the, you know, essentially, if you look at the civil rights, many of them were reverends. Many of them, you know, were men of the cloth. And to me, the question is, how much influence today is the church having within those communities? Are there other factors outside? Uh, Hollywood, uh, the glorification, you know, uh, if you look in, you know, the, you know, Hollywood, for example, when was the last time we saw a TV show where you essentially had a parent a two-parent household. They're becoming a rarity. And so society has changed in that regard. And I, and again, it's, it, 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 we're talking a sea change in culture, going back and saying what works and what doesn't work. You know, let me tell you, you know, a, a step here, and I'll throw this out. You know, we, you know, as Americans say, when we would do polls, what are the questions we would ask people? What is, you know, how does you know, success? And one would say, do you think, you know, you know, hard work, you know, going to school, not showing up drunk to work <laughs> is, you know, are the ways of success? And you'll be surprised. You know, we, you know, I would say in the 1990s, if I would have asked that question, you would have gotten a 90% response. We're getting 30 to 40% saying no. It's not <laughs> a success. Really? Yeah. And... <clears throat> And I find it, you know, it's and I and I go back. I don't know if you remember uh, Amy Wax. I think I'm sort of like uh, University of Pennsylvania oh, yeah. wrote wrote a book. You know, wrote an article on bourgeoisie virtues and the important the importance of that of these virtues that let's say I grew up with, Jim grew up with, you grew up with. You know, hard work. You know, don't go to you know, don't show up to work drunk. Uh, wait till you have, you know, get married to have children. And you know, she, she pointed it out, and she was declared a racist for bringing that up. Uh, and I guess my question is, is yeah, I, I, that, that's, and to me, in other words, we're looking at these virtues that are common sense are now being challenged as the ways of success. And to me, that's an aspect of you know where do we go from. You know, if you can't, if you're not going to change that aspect, it's going to be very difficult on it to do anything beyond that on the economic micro side of the equation. If that first aspect, you know, if that aspect does, if that keeps changing the negative, uh, you guys, your thoughts? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I agree with this. So there's a lot that uh, you two gentlemen have said over the past. Uh, five, 10 minutes. I mean, like in terms of Jim's comment first, I absolutely agree that you can't just blame the war on drugs for the uh, growth in kind of out of wedlock dad absent families. I mean, I think the first comment there just almost from a cynical perspective is, well, why are so many young men selling drugs? I mean, that's another thing that's changed dramatically since the fifties or the sixties, but you don't even really have to go there. I mean, if you're arguing this is focused on, you know, the African-American community, you could just check and see, you know, are these out of wedlock birth rates nearly as bad for other communities with maybe that small difference due to racism. And that, that's exactly what we find. I mean, we find that the uh, OOB rate for Hispanics is around 66%. Puerto Ricans in particular at the same level we are in the black community. Again, the rate for whites, you're talking about young whites, that's over 40%. So you can't just say, well, the reason that 
65% of black dads and 40% of white dads aren't there is the war on drugs. I mean, 65% of men aren't drug dealers. You're, you're just making excuses by that point. Um, in fact, other people have looked at this and found even the idea that most of the people in prison are there for misdemeanor weed charges and the like is pretty wildly wrong. Uh, the most common crime that sends you to federal prison or state maximum security, that's the only data I've been able to get, but is actually murder. Nine uh, percent of the people in the Fed lockup or the state max lockup are there because they actually killed somebody. So if people are in those kind of serious prisons for drugs, that's because they had five or ten pounds of something pleading down from what was originally a trafficking charge. That's almost universal. But that's that's just a side point. I mean, as re, you know, Tom's major point there, which is changing culture. I don't really think that there's any way to deny that. So there actually are some state solutions that might have some effect. I mean, but they're, they're extremely sweeping things that are unlikely to happen, like changing the laws around no-fault divorce, really enforcing child support so that it, it's very difficult to be a deadbeat dad, so you'd be tracked down and thrown in jail. But the same people yelling about racism and sexism would also describe those things as racist and sexist. You mean, so you're saying men can't leave and women can't leave an abusive marriage would be the, the first question asked. Um, and yeah, the, the social presentation, I mean, like Cardi B's song WAP, which stands for, you know, wet ass bleep, is I think number two in the country right now. There's obviously a different view of sexuality. There's obviously a different view of family. And this, this is presented to people. I mean, Cardi B has a major label record deal. She didn't just walk, you know, into the odium and start rapping. But there's what what kids are seeing is something very different from what has traditionally been taught. I, I think you are seeing a backlash to that now. I mean, when you ask what could you do, I think all of us are fairly influential people. I certainly think the people involved in 1776, Clarence Page, Shelby Steele, and so on are. I mean, in your own life, tell people what sort of things work. You know, model that behavior yourself. Teach it in schools if you happen to be a principal or you run a charter. So I think there are going to be enough people doing that that people will be able to compare example A with example B. Like, what happens if you do show up to work drunk, as you said? But, I mean, it obviously is unfortunate that 35% of people or whatever believe that today, not in 1950, if they go to school and they do well and they stay physically fit and they stay sober and they go apply for a job, they won't get it because of racism or something like that. And that's because of this alternative vision of America. I mean, there are people promoting that. There's a book that just came out called Mediocre, which argues that today in 2021, society is still run by average unskilled white men. And if you're black or Jewish or whatnot, you won't get a chance to compete with them. And I actually, last sentence, but I wrote a review of it where I looked at the, the highest incomes in the country, and I found that they belong to you know, Indian Americans, Jewish Americans, West African blacks. And that doesn't mean those groups don't face a lot of bigotry, but it does mean there's something that we can all learn from what they're doing right. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, Jim, your thoughts. Oh, that was, that was really good. Now, that's rich because that's it. Rather than looking with a jaundiced eye at – what's wrong, let's look at those examples that are success stories and see what is being done there, what did they do. People that are coming out of uh, ghettos and barrios that go on to success, what did they do differently than the other 80% or 90% yeah. from that area? What did they do different? We need to determine 
some of those successes and use those to develop trends. I will say that, and we've talked a little bit about this in our generation, most of us had some association with the military. I uh, uh, ultimately spent 25 years combined active duty, reserve, and National Guard time in the military. It was great for me in many ways, and my main motivation as a teenager to join, in my case, the U.S. Army, was I was not familiar with financial aid and grants and so on for education, and I knew that my parents were unable to afford to pay for me to go to college. And so my motivation was to go so that I could use the VA and GI Bill benefits for my education. But along the way, I learned that I was capable of doing a lot more at the mental level and physical level than I ever imagined I could do because I was in an environment, I agree, it was autocratic in the military, but I was someplace that pushed me so hard that I did things that brought my confidence to an all-time high, and that continued throughout the rest of my life. So I always wanted to be a high achiever based on that experience. So along with the benefits that you have as far as educational benefits, if you elect to stay in and retire, you have medical benefits and so on, uh, uh, subsidized by Department of Defense and military. All of these things can make a quality of life that's quite different than someone who may Mm -hmm. not ever enter the military. And so much of our black middle class came out of military backgrounds. Really check it. It doesn't happen anymore. That's a, yeah. Hey, that's an interesting point because, uh, you know, I didn't think because like I say, you know, I was uh, 18 uh, in 1970, you know, 18 when it was the last draft. <laughs> and mm-hmm. my draft number was 185. So I didn't, you know, and at that point, if you weren't in the top 20, if you didn't get enough, you know, you were like 20 and below, they were you end up getting drafted by that time, and that was mm-hmm. when the tail end of Vietnam. But you're you're absolutely right. Like this asking, but I can remember going to college and the number of people who were just out of the military, yeah, and they certainly did have a different attitude about life. It was you know compared to some of us who didn't have did go through that, and there was a much more discipline in their mindset. It's like I'm here to get through college, get this thing done, and move on with the rest of my life. Uh, and they tended to be older. You know, you know, you know, I was 18, 19 going to college. They were like 20, 23, 22, 23. And so the way they saw things, you know, we didn't see. And that does make a big difference uh, go into that. Uh, here's the uh, There's one aspect here, because here's a question we asked a, a couple of years ago. Uh, and basically the question was, you know, do you believe the smarter, better government moves society to social justice? Believe in multiculturalism, multiculturalism as a necessity? Or do you believe the traditional values of hard work, delayed gratification is the basis of a successful society? Yeah, in this particular poll, we basically found the average about 40% would say, uh, this was like 2018. 
smarter, better government can move society toward the social justice, and maybe 50, you know, 56, 55 percent stated uh, the more traditional values. Which leads me to a kind of an interesting question uh, after this break for the both of you. The answer is: Have are we looking too much to government to solve many of these issues, uh, like economic issues, moving forward? Because as you once said, Jim, the problem with uh, many urban centers is just ain't enough capitalism. Yep, I agree. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back. Join Barry Barnes for Locker Talk on the Bachelor Pad Network as he presents NFL news and evaluates players Fridays at 9 a.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. I never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots. I don't have time. We're all healthy. My asthma's under control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids are too old for flu. I can fight it naturally. No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. Keep your foundation strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. This is Tom. We're back here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Once again, the BachelorNewsRadioNetwork.com is our website. It's a new website that we put together. Uh, join in. Basically, you can listen to this particular show and other shows at your convenience. Simply plug on the Donaldson files, and it's there. So, BachelorNewsRadioNetwork.com. All right. Uh, Jim, I'm going to throw this out to you because I'm going to throw out a program that you're very familiar with uh, because you and I, you know, we've, you know, we had a chance to talk to Zypher, which uh, our, uh, Randall, which is Randy Randolph, is now the uh, CEO, friend Delbert Shalaki. Yeah. And and basically, those two gentlemen, uh, uh, those two over the years, they have basically been part of a program. You know, private the, initiated by the private sector in the case where they basically work with returning citizens, find you know, train them, and to become, let's say, at high-paying blue-collar jobs in many cases. And, and I thought to myself, you know, this is a program we don't talk about. It brings all of this, you know, it's what I call the program of should be the second-step program. Uh, when it comes to, let's say, the you know, crime area, because you're seeing, you know, we've seen these programs for some of you, like I say, Delbert, you know, he's been doing this for years, long before it was the thing to do. And so was Zypher. So kind of talk about that program real quick and how that works out. Yeah. Sure. Let me, uh, let me say there are a couple of things that are very interesting, and I've been up close and observing both of their business activities. Both of these uh, uh, employers hire approximately 25% to uh, one-third of their employees or individuals who are uh, being released from incarceration. Some of them still are incarcerated, but they have authorization to leave eight hours a day or so to go and work, and then they are transported back to the facility, you know, overnight until the next day. 
And there are a couple of things that are very interesting here that's happening with them. First of all, both organizations are teaching skills. They're teaching marketable skills. And in the case of uh, Zephyr, they're teaching high-tech skills with the latest type of technology on the market. And so these individuals are learning how to operate these machines and do various things. They're learning this so that when they actually release or when they leave Zephyr, for example, they can go on to a job with a strong employer's recommendation and and so on, which is you know part of that network, uh, employer network and recommendations. But what's interesting is those types of skills are the things that me and some of my contemporaries learned in the military. You know, I worked in communications and electronics and so on in the military. These are things that I learned because it was my job and it was an autocratic environment, and so I was pushed to learn these things. I learned them, and I brought them with me back into civilian life. Some young people, particularly right out of high school, don't have a level of maturity and self-discipline to do those things without being pushed to do it. And so those that are in the uh, correctional facilities, they are forced by those facilities to learn these skills so that they can be productive. Those that have been released are on somebody's caseload as far as probation, a parole officer who is mandating that they have to earn income, to pay child support, and various things that they have to do to be productive. And so some people are not mature enough at a young age, particularly, to be productive as far as discipline and motivation. But that correction facility and that military environment is going to make and press these individual things that they learn that they can do, and they find, in many cases, the individuals who have been, if they haven't been in the military, for example, or incarcerated, we find that in both cases, oftentimes these individuals are far ahead of individuals who may not have ever served in the military or had any trouble as far as being incarcerated. And so it's just kind of ironic that even a correctional facility can produce better outcome for an individual going forward than even someone who's at home. And they also told you, because, you know, now we look at some of the data, and I know Delbert has shared some of his, is that they've been pretty successful in basically, you know, keeping these individuals from going back to prison, that they, as Delbert would tell us, that become, instead of a burden on society, you know, they are now becoming taxpayers of society. And and I think it's a program, but it's one of those programs where, you know, to me, is an initiative that we need to be thinking about, talking about, to move, let's say, things forward into many of these urban center communities. Now, the other aspect that comes into play here is regulations and uh, boards. It's an amazing thing to me how the big another obstacle that we need to be talking about is those obstacles which prohibits people from moving forward. And a lot of times we're talking about uh, you know, cosmetology. Uh, you know, I'm in the real estate. You know, I got a real estate license, and 
and you've got boards that deal with real estate. And, and I have to be honest with you, in the Iowa, it's not that difficult to get a real estate license. It's basically 96 hours, a couple thousand dollars. It's not that big of an investment uh, per se. And you can have yourself a very successful career. And I look at, because in my office, percent of the, you know, and, you know 70% of the individuals are women. Yep. They're not men. And and it's you know, like I say, when you have less regulations in those lines, easier access. You know, this too is a job creator, and there's too many communities where you can literally say that there is too much regulation, where you have boards that basically make it virtually impossible for the number of hours just to qualify just to be a hairdresser, and that those are two obstacles. That you know stand in the way, in particular in many uh, urban centers. Uh, Jim, your thoughts on that? As far as as far as the the opportunity, you know, it's it's about focus and opportunity. And unfortunately, some individuals have to be forced to do things that are in their own best interest. And a good friend of both mine and and Professor Riley is Bob Woodson, Woodson Center, Washington, D.C. And Bob told me once, and it's it's so true, he said, as far as the black community, when this country and white people were at their very worst, or as far as mean-spiritedness and so on, that was when black people were at their very best. If you go back to the early part of the 20th century in the 20s and even approaching the Depression, the rate of marriage was very high, percentage of married couples in uh, two adult households was high. Uh, Lots of things, the family unit, the functioning, move towards educational opportunity and so on. There was just a lot more motivation there as things became more open and greater opportunities. It appears that there was less motivation towards it. And so it's just kind of ironic, but that's one of uh, Bob Woodson's philosophies. And he's talked about that a lot. And many times I've heard him speak. I'm sure you have too, uh, Dr. Riley. Yeah, definitely. I mean, listening to some of the things you guys are saying, I mean, there's almost an element of humor to Jim's point. I mean, when you say that these men who in another era would have almost certainly done their four years or their eight years in the military or their fraternity would have told them to get a job their second year of college to pay to live in a house or just their father would have suggested them to some to an employer. Now the motivation that's getting these guys out to work with high tech and to try for potential union jobs is prison. So, I mean, there's almost a dark irony to that, that if you remove those other things from the system, those sources of order, your dad, your church, if you're a religious guy, your military, your extended family, the thing that's going to motivate you might be something fairly negative. I mean, you might try out the gang scene, and as a result of that, you might be told, well, now you're going to have to work with these machines by a correctional facility. So I think – The one point that I kind of started out the conversation with and that you guys have definitely driven home to me is that 
when I mentor for a bunch of reasons from me too, to just, that's what I'm more familiar with. I work mostly with young men and it's very emphatically been the case that you see that the lack of those traditional kind of pillars in life, like your father, you can't overemphasize that religion, uh, athletics, sports at that varsity level, military service was the big one. Um, so on down the line, those cause kind of a sense of rootlessness. You don't know what you're going to do. And that can lead to all forms of trouble. If you're a young, aggressive guy with high potential, those are the people that are likely to, to screw up the worst. So I think what we're talking about today really is what are the alternatives we can propose and suggest? And that can be everything from promoting the old idea of America. That's going to be really key. But also that's going to be stuff like what you suggest, innovative programs from business. It doesn't matter if you were locked up once on a misdemeanor charge, if you could use the newest, most advanced technology, if they're not just showing you how to make license plates. We're going to do it, have to do a lot of things all together to fix a very real problem because 70% is a, a lot of brothers and Caucasians are not that far behind. So we're going to have to deal with that as a society, the impact of that for at least a generation. Yeah. Okay, the last question. we got about five minutes left. Uh one of the aspects of Martin Luther King was equality. And and what I want to do is have the two of you define equality. Do you believe in equality of results, equality of opportunity? How would you define equality? Or what it is or what should society define as equality? I'll start with you, Jim. Okay. Yeah. When I think about equality, I think about equality of opportunity because the opportunity is one thing that society can facilitate to a great degree, but the personal initiative and personal responsibility, that's for the individual. And so I think society, government, business, the other sectors should be looking at that environment think we've got to make sure that the incentives that we develop require personal initiative. Otherwise, we're still going to lose the race. And for a long time, and even looking ahead from right now, recent elections, government has been activists, and government has tried many different programs, many different things that have largely failed. And so I think rather than government taking the leading role it needs to be an integral part, but government should be in a supporting role. And I think business, the private sector, the free enterprise system should take a lead with a, a very positive means of management of in regulation, a regulation level that does not strangle business, but maintains some degree of equity and even the faith-based community alongside with nonprofits and community-based organizations. But government should not be taking the lead. It should be in a supporting role. Professor Riley. Yeah, I mean, as we've all been saying to each other throughout the call, I, I, I agree with a lot of that. My personal take on government is that government does pretty well in the food stamp business, but not in the grocery store business, to quote a business mentor of mine. So, I mean, what the government needs to be doing is – if you want to set up a charter academy to work with young African-American or working class white or really any other kind of American kids, the government 
needs to have a program available where funds can be taken from the traditional public school and applied to that academy. If you're talking about a program that's helping guys that are incarcerated that find themselves in that situation, like the program Jim brought up, the government should provide some grants. The government should provide assistance. Is there an old building in a city that the local government can provide? The government shouldn't be running all these programs because that's essentially communism, where you have the government controlling large sectors of the economy, and we're already too close to that for my liking. So that's kind of narrow point one, what should the government do, what should business do? In terms of your broader question, which is a great question, what is equality, what is equity? To me, those are questions that come from the business world. I use those terms when I teach a business class. And equality just means everybody's starting at the same line. We've got some ways to go there when it comes to rural or urban inner city schools, but we're pretty close. Equality is everyone starts at the same starting line. You start running when the gun goes off. Equity, the old cliche, is is everyone finishing at the same time. And to guarantee equity, you need to require profound inequality because all people don't run at the same speed. Yeah. Well, actually, speaking of that, because I was in track and cross country. I was I ran for a, at the school at the time was Division Three, and and I can always say you know from a Division Three, I did fairly well. I lettered, and uh, I even you know and did fairly you know, and I was competitive. But ever so often, we would like compete with the big boys, and you can certainly tell the difference, <laughs> namely. Yep. I mean, I was like out of it. I could never really had a cross country meet and a state meet. And William Mary at that time had two or three guys that were uh, trying out for the Olympics. I mean, that's how good they were. And then you had our, you know, then we had us. And now we finished fourth as a team in cross country. But William Mary basically had the first 10 guys across their line for cross country. <laughs> And and I was basically in like the bottom half, and and I always can sit back and remember. Well, I'm obviously as a runner not equal to them, <laughs> but equality to me of opportunity is where I I'm kind of with you on this. Is that find your niche in a free market society in a free society you can find that niche you're good at, and I always kind of. I'm reminded of The Millionaire Next Door. There was a book by Tom Stanley, The Millionaire Next Door, and he always made a very interesting observation. He said oftentimes that A student who got the master's from Duke or Ivy League found himself working for the B student who basically found his niche and made it happen. And that to me is the opportunity that we try to seek out. I want to thank everybody uh, for being on the show tonight. Uh, Jim Eccles, Thank you. Uh, Dr. Wilf O'Reilly, uh, this is Tom Donaldson saying good night here from the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network.
Hey, good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of You and the Law podcast show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We're glad that everyone is able to join us uh, today uh, for this uh, special uh, podcast show. It's a ML King special. We know everybody celebrated uh, the ML King holiday yesterday, but uh, uh, we're going to talk about what Martin Luther King Jr. said in 1963 about police brutality. That's going to be our uh, topic today, and we're going to have a guest on the show with me and uh, my co-host who goes by the the alias of Chief Swag. We're going to have on uh, Chief James Smith, who is with the Lawton, Oklahoma Police Department. Uh, he's a, a former military person. He's been in law enforcement for 30 years, but he's got a military background. So we're going to visit with him and, and talk with him about some law enforcement topics and just um, all the current events, as you everybody knows, tomorrow is the big day of the inauguration of the 46th president. So uh, we've got a lot to talk about uh, with you. And uh, But before we uh, move any further, I've got to introduce my buddy that's next to me, Chief Swag. How you doing? What's going on, Chief Virgil? How you doing, man? I'm excited about having JP on, man. You know, he, oh, yeah. he brings so much to the game, man. And, uh, you know, he just, he's the man. He's the man. A, yeah. word, a man of uh, very few words, but he's a good dude, man. So we, we're excited, man. How was your holiday? Man, it was it was a good ML King holiday, you know, uh, as as we all, you know, hopefully everybody got out and, and did some type of a service in their community because that's what, the uh, you know ML King would uh, Martin Luther King would wanted people to do, but had a really good uh, holiday. Keith, how about yours? I, I know you you told me you were doing a lot of speaking engagements, so you know it seemed like you were pretty high in demand. Well, man, well you know <laughs> what can I say, man? <laughs> no, you know I, I had a couple of events, but it was just uh, man, it was just amazing and an honor to be asked to, to speak. You know, it's such a on such a wonderful holiday, and we were really busy yesterday. But you know, also we're we're planning for tomorrow too. So it's just been a busy, been a busy few days. Been a busy few yeah. days. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, Keith, you know, we're still uh, dealing with the aftermath of what took place at at our nation capital with the uh, with the mob attacking the the U.S. Capitol and all of the the, the fallout from that, and uh, you know, even as we come on air, you know, uh, news reports are talking about members of the some members of the National Guard have been uh, pulled from their detail uh, because of their uh, involvement with some of these uh, extremist groups. And uh, one good thing about having you know T. Smith on, you know, he is a retired he retired from the United States Army Reserve at the rank of a colonel. So. You know, man, he, he was, JT was up there. I mean, you know, he was a colonel, so he's got some experience with uh, with the National Guard. So hopefully, you know, we can uh, we can talk with him about how uh, the Guard is dealing with, uh, with, uh, with everything that the law enforcement community is dealing with, Keith. So you said he was a colonel? He was a colonel. 
he so you well, know we're gonna have to. He's well, got well, let me tight. say this. Well, let me say this. So was the so was the founder of Kentucky Fried Chicken was a colonel too. So well, but see, you know, you know man, but see, I, you know, he 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 rises to like the the fifth power of of colonel with with KFC. I mean, you know, he he's a colonel colonel, you know, with the the U.S. Army, you know. So we've got a he's a chief and a colonel. So you know, he's got he's got two titles, and I know he's. You know, man, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let him respond to you you saying you know, com, you know, with the colonel with KFC, you know. So, but okay, I'm gonna let you okay. I'm gonna let you two guys work that out. <laughs> All right, that's my that's our boy, man. That's our boy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So, but uh, but you know, T, we want to remind everybody that the uh, calling number to the show is. Uh, Six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. That's six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. And make sure you follow us on our uh, follow the podcast show. Uh, you can go to uh, the Bachelor News Radio Network dot com, and you can download or you can listen any time of the day, any time of the night to previously aired shows of you and the Lyle podcast show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And you can follow us on our social media. Platform. You can follow us on Facebook at You and the Law One. That's You and the Law One. You can follow us on Instagram at You underscore and the Law, and you can follow us on Twitter at You the Law One. That's You the Law One on Twitter. So go to our Facebook page, like like the page, and send us a comment and share your thoughts about the show. But you know, Keith, this is a you know interesting you know the topic that we're going to be talking about is you know. Police brutality, uh, I think, it, you know, it's a topic, you know, something that Martin Luther King talked about back in 1963 during the Civil Rights Movement, and it's something that, you know, 50 years later, you know, the question is, you know, uh, it's still an unresolved uh, topic when it comes to, you know, uh, the violent confrontation between African-American citizens and police, and you know, the question can be, you know, one of the things that Martin Luther King said was, can we can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of an unspokable horrors of police brutality. So, you know, I think it's really important that we um, talk with that with our listeners and uh, something that, you know, hope, you know, if you got a comment, you know, definitely call in and get in on the chat room and let the, uh, producer of the show know that you would like to come on the air and talk with us, but, uh, you know, we're looking forward to the, to the next hour and, uh, and, and, and getting Chief Smith on and, and talking about this important topic. But so Keith, uh, you know, man, it's just with everything going on, you know, with the inauguration going on, you know, Trump leaving office, it, it just seemed like there's so much, uh, that's going to take place in 2021 where everybody thought, Hey man, we're getting away from 2020, but we're still going to be dealing with a lot of things going into 2021. Yeah. Residual, the residual aftermath. Yeah. We're going to be dealing with. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, you know, one of the things, Keith, I don't know if we, you know, we have time to talk about it. It may come up on another show, but you know, there's a disturbing, uh, incident that took place in, in uh, Colleen, Texas, where uh, 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 another unarmed black uh, 
man lost his life uh, to a, to you know to a shooting that involved a, a police officer who was dealing with uh, some mental health issues. Uh, the police had been out to this residence before. Uh, Keith, it just goes back. You know, we talked about it just on the show. Just the the lack of training or the lack of knowledge that some police officers have when dealing with people with mental health illness, especially in the in the black community. So, you know, hopefully that's something we may be able to touch on. But you know, uh, I, I definitely have thoughts and prayers with that family who's dealing with that tragic in in, in Colleen, Texas. But uh, you know, Keith, we're getting ready to come up on on our first break and uh, we're going to, you know, once we come out of the break, we're going to bring on Chief Smith uh, to the show. But Keith, we're going to take this break uh, and we're going to be right back with you guys. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. If you want real discussions on politics, social issues, racial issues, and other topics, then tune into the Bachelor News Radio Show. Listen live every Monday and Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. And if you miss the show, you can listen every Monday through Saturday at 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern and every Sunday at 5 a.m. and 3 p.m. at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Listen and be informed. Now you can increase your yields by using Conklin's Guardian Slow-Release Nitrogen Additive. Guardian holds your nitrogen in the root zone where it's needed over a longer period of time. That, in return, can reduce your nitrogen rates. That saves you money. And whether you want it in a dry or liquid formula, Guardian helps in reducing groundwater contamination, too. So save your money and be a good steward all at the same time by using Conklin's Guardian. the You and the Law broadcast with Chief, Chief Swag Humphrey and uh, Virgil Green, 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with them. If you have a question, hit us up on that. Number of the chat room is open. You can also ask questions at their Facebook page as well. And without further ado, I go back to the stars of the show, Keith Chief Swag Humphrey and Chief Virgil Gray. Hey, we want to welcome everybody back to you and the Long the Bachelor News Radio Network, and uh, we definitely want to get to our guest who is who's joining us, and we're going to call him Colonel Colonel Smith. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing fine. How are you all? Oh, we're doing fine, Colonel. We're doing just fine, Colonel. Glad, glad you could join us. Hey, hey, Chief, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. It's good to hear from you, Colonel. Yeah, well, it's it's an honor and a privilege to be able to uh, participate in this this uh, this show. Well, we, we we're glad that you you know took uh, took out. Uh, 
a uh, the time your your valuable time to to come on the show and and be a guest and and talk with talk with us and and our listeners about you know some things that's that's going on and uh, especially from you know your experience. Uh, former military, retired as a colonel, and uh, but I got to say this: I don't know, Smith, if you heard, you know what what uh, what Chief, what Humphrey said, you know about the colonel with KFC. So, you know that may be something we have to talk off air. But you know, man, I, I wouldn't take that. You know. Yeah. But, well, you know, um, the chief is uh, is always a. A jokester, and we we go back and forth with each other. But but he's he's a good man, a hard worker, and I I, I appreciate his friendship. Well, oh, you want oh y'all want to be professional now? Okay, <laughs> All right, y'all want to be professional? I got you. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Well, 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 T. Smith. I mean, you know, <clears throat> being. Uh, you know, retired from the military and being in the National Guard. What's what's your opinion about what's going on with uh, some some things that have come out? Are you surprised uh, about some of the news that's come out about uh, some of the people that are in the Guard? And and I think a lot of people, and you can speak on this as well, uh, Chief Smith, about Members of the National Guard are just, you know, average citizens. I mean, you know, they they are police officers. There's nurses. There are doctors. There's there are pilots. There are teachers. So, it, you know, the Guard is made up of people in our communities. So, but are you kind of surprised with some of the things that have recently come out about some of the Guards who may be affiliated with some of the uh, these extremist groups? Um, yes and no. You know, they're they're called citizen soldiers, and it's because that you know the majority of the time they are regular citizens, like you said. They're teachers and and pharmacists and and other from all walks of life in the community. But with that, you know, for all walks of life in the community, sometimes they they do venture into those uh, dark elements. The um, the military has took great pains to eliminate uh, them from the ranks, but um, in the in the in the past years, you know, they have gone underground. But seem like in the past four years, they have been emboldened to come forward and uh, and and really speak their mind. Mhm. Yeah. And and you know, T. Smith, you you are the police chief in Lawton, Oklahoma. And I, you know, if our listeners are not familiar with with Lawton, Oklahoma, it is the home of the uh, Fort Steele. Is that that correct? Correct. It's in the yeah, it, southwestern part of the state. Yeah, and and so that's a you know, Lawton, Oklahoma is a, a military community, uh, and and so a lot of uh, Men and women come through there, and they get their uh, some of their basic training in 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 Fort Seal. So, um, has that been something that has has been uh, discussed amongst law enforcement within uh, that community with the, with the military? 
Yeah, you know, that's something that we have always been um, uh, aware of because, you know, there have been a long, uh, you know, we always had intelligence that uh, gang units have uh, sent their, uh, some of their people into the military so that they can learn the tactics, uh, mm-hmm. stay in three and four years, and then come back out and teach the other gang members. So intelligence have always shown that um, uh, I wouldn't just say particular gang or maybe white supremacist groups have used military tactics, and a lot of them have had military backgrounds. Well, you know, it's interesting you brought that that up because I remember some years ago before you uh, came to uh, Lawton uh, and and will it. it I want you to share with our listeners your your law enforcement background and your military background, but I remember some years ago where there was a big concern in Lawton with what you just mentioned, you know, people that are affiliated with gangs uh, were being recruited by recruiters to come into the military, and that was a big problem in in that community uh, probably some, you know, 10, 15 years ago where a lot of people, as you, you know, were uh, going through training, and, but they were affiliated with, uh, with gangs out of California or gangs in, in part of the South, and, and they were bringing that culture into the, the military uh, bases. Right. Um, that, that has been a, a huge issue, um, like really that, that you already stated before, that uh, you know those those elements have infiltrated um, the military ranks, and mm-hmm. it has caused some some issues uh, inside the military. But most more importantly, they have uh, came in and learned the tactics of uh, of warfare because military they train all the time and spent their enlistment, and then when they uh, rotated out, take those. Uh, those tactics back home to uh, to to teach other gang members. Okay, okay. So, uh, Chief Smith, just kind of share with our listeners your law enforcement background, your military background, and uh, uh, how you how you ended up in Lawton, Oklahoma, as the police chief in Lawton, Oklahoma. Well, I'm I'm originally from uh, Kentucky, uh, born and raised there. But uh, I, I spent some time with the uh, Kentucky State Police, but I spent the bulk of my law enforcement career with uh, Louisville Police Department. And as you stated before, I was in the reserves, so I uh, also, at the same time, simultaneously, with the police department, I was also in the reserves, being that citizen soldier we talked about. So. I was mm-hmm. able to do uh, 30 years in the military that uh, encompassed some deployments uh, to uh, to Iraq and Bosnia. But um, um, so, as the Reader's Digest version. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> T. Swag, uh, what you, uh, you, you what you got? Uh, uh, what you have for uh, T. Smith? 
No, I just want to I just want to tell the listeners, man. This is a sharp guy, man. Uh, he uh, he's done a lot of things in in Lawton uh, that has been very positive uh, for the city. Uh, a lot of uh, changes yeah. in the policy, a lot of changes in the way they uh, address issues. So he's a logistical guy. He's uh, not well, not only logistical, he's an operational guy. So uh, he's a good man. We we've, we've talked a lot and helped each other out a lot when I was in Oklahoma. So um, he's a good man, good man. Yeah, yeah, he is. And I think, you know, we, we all kind of met about the same time some 10 years ago uh, when, you know, Keith, you came uh, into from Texas into Norman and, and T. Smith came in from uh, Kentucky to, to Lawton. And we, we definitely have uh, formed a, uh, a good uh, professional and friendship uh relationship with, with each other. Uh so it's 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 always good and, and I'm the youngest out of the out of the group. So, you know, it's always good to be around, you know the lies uh, your, the lies your, your the elders. lies you tell. <laughs> the lies you tell. The lies you tell. You look older but you're not older. Uh, you're not the youngest. You look old. So but anyway, the lies you tell. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, hey, um, Smith, what is, what is your opinion, you know, with everything that took place in uh, our nation's capital, um, uh, with, with now it's coming out, the, all the different uh, groups that were involved in it, uh, how, how do, what's your opinion of, of, uh, of these groups being in the military also being in, in in law enforcement, and do you see that as being some challenges with with law enforcement uh, as we go forward with trying to root out some of these uh, uh, white supremacists or far far right groups that are in both the military and law enforcement? Yeah, well, well, first of all, I mean, my my heart aches to see what happened in uh, in D.C. January the 6th, because that's not the America that that we are. We are so much better than that. But also what I stated before, it seemed like the last four years, these white su- supremacy groups have always been there since to be, you know, for years. But um, they have kind of been dormant. But the last several years, they've gotten emboldened and been more vocal and has come to the surface. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, looking at uh, the landscape, it was just only a matter of time before the powder keg would, would explode. I just mm-hmm. hate to to see it happen in, in that vein. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, guys, we're getting ready to come up on our, our, on our next break, and, uh, but, you know, we um, – I want to remind our listeners that the calling number to the show is 646-929-0130. That's 646-929-0130. And if you miss any of this broadcast or if you're just now coming on, you can definitely check out the rebroadcast of You and the Law podcast show at thebachelornewsradionetwork.com. And you can check out, you know, our previous shows uh, any time of the day. But, Guys, we're going to jump into this next break, but when we come back, we're going to get back into this topic, but you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. 
Greetings and great day, everyone. I am Elder Janelle Strickland, host of the Life Cafe radio broadcast from Maximizing Life Family Worship Center. I invite you to tune in every Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. Tune in, maximize your life with the Word of God, and be blessed. Only on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Join Barry Barnes for Locker Talk on the Bachelor Pad Network as he presents NFL news and evaluates players Fridays at 9 a.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. the bachelor news radio show uh network i should say uh 646-929-0130 the number to get in touch with chief uh key swag hungry and uh, chief virgil green and their guests uh, their distinguished guests i'm going to be screening calls if you have a uh, question or comment uh, or you're just listening please do let me know uh we will screen the calls and uh you can get on the air and uh, make your voice heard or just continue to listen to this great broadcast. I do have a question for your distinguished uh, guest, guys, Colonel L.A. Bachelor here. And um, uh, what do you make of the uh, the concerns, which is unprecedented, in, in an inauguration and not just the, the atrocities, uh, these people who claim they stand for the flag and constitution went to burn it down and and kill people the devils that they are Uh, but part of that what do you make of those fbi not only watching for these white supremacists uh skinhead groups coming to try to assassinate but also have to watch your own and the military, law enforcement, people that work at the chief, you know, work under the, the chiefs, people who work under you. How uh, how does that make you feel in your profession, your long-time profession? Hello? You can go ahead. Uh, that was for you. you. Yeah, you can go ahead, sir. Okay. Yeah. No, um, yes, it's always a taxing situation in in every every profession you know there are unfortunately people who uh look to sabotage the system or or that organization so always from the beginning of time there's there's always been people in your organization that uh they may be with you but they are are not really going with you um so that's always been a issue that we has constantly have to you know only not only look outside to see what the environment and the climate is, but we also got to look on the inside and to make sure that uh our people that's uh in our organization are following the policies and procedures and or 
are doing things the right way and for the, the, for the right reasons. And if they're not, uh, you have to deal with them appropriately. Well, you know, Chief Smith, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, we're going to be talking about, uh, discussing on, on the show today uh, more is, you know, yesterday we celebrated the ML King holiday and, you know, so many, even now after so many years of watching different specials, it, it um, it's, you know, to see some of the things, the footage that took place back in uh, in the early 60s. You know, I was born in, in, in 1963, uh, and so in reading about some things growing up in the history books and, and, and watching some of the footage, you know, we've often said this on the show that a lot of things have started with police, and one of the things that took place was, you know, in 1965, you know, the, the bloody Sunday in Selma, Alabama, where state troopers, you know, attacked, you know, peaceful protesters. And, you know, it's almost kind of like, you know, what we witnessed, you know, January the 6th, where a mob of, of people, you know, rushed into our nation's capital. They, they attacked, you know, federal uh, police officers. And here it is in 1965, 600 over 600 peaceful protesters were were mobbed were mobbed attacked by state troopers. And so, what how do you, what does that say about policing and where where policing was in 1965 and where policing is now going into uh, you know the 21st century? Well, I, I will say that uh, we have, and I hope that we have made a huge leap forward from the 1960s. Uh, one of the things, you know, Dr. King was talking about that the the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of uh, mm-hmm. police brutality, and when when he talks about that, uh, I think of uh, Bull Connor in uh, yeah. in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, his tactics and his methods and dealing with uh, unrest. You know, you can have a peaceful unrest or a, a unruly unrest, but his tactics uh, were brutal. And as a law enforcement, uh, we are much better than that. We do not use those tactics. I mean, we have... Um, in the early 70s, there was a lot of uh, federal funding that went to law enforcement to um, uh, professionalize uh, uh, police departments. There were laws enacted that, um, that stopped uh, a lot of these these acts. You know, in, in 1965, there was, uh, there was a lot of these things were acceptable. They are not acceptable now. Um, have we gotten it all right? No, we haven't. Uh, can we do a whole lot more? Yes, we can. And each and every day, uh, we have got to continue to improve our, our methods and our tactics. One of the things that uh, that has came to light, you know, in the past few years, where you know there 
seem like there has been a new push for you know different elements like you know black lives matter and saying that uh, uh these things are not right but what the citizens are saying again is that we want a different way of being policed uh we mm-hmm. are uh, public service and we work for the citizens of the communities that we serve uh so they have a right to tell us how they want the service that we are delivering so um we we don't police uh the way we did back in in the 60s and 65 uh but we have to do a whole lot better than what we're doing now also yeah definitely definitely we do and and uh you know uh Keith we've got a uh, a listener on the line who uh who has a question for uh Chief Smith who is out of uh Dallas County Texas uh go ahead with your question for uh Chief Smith Yes hello uh, my name is Myrna Daniels and I'm calling from Dallas Texas and my question is with the situation that happened on January the 6th with military, former military and some police officers being involved. How are they disciplined and what is the punishment for their actions? Well, if I may, if I may answer that question, I think it's going to rain. From what I'm gathering, uh, several of them are going to be charged with federal, uh, federal charges, which I believe is going to lead to their termination. Uh, and it, it, it appears that the FBI has really strong cases on these individuals. Learn the, the, the question comes that I've heard recently is, well, what happens if you just had officers in the city, in Washington D.C., at the at the protest, but they weren't actively involved? And I think that that's a that's a concern that 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 each chief is going to have to sit down and try to figure out number one. Why, why was my, why was my, you know, why was one of my employees at that protest? Now, we have we have officers that participated in protests. I participated in in protests, but I had an understanding of what the protest was about. I did. So it's going to be interesting to see how these officers explain uh, why they were there. And I don't think there's no way based on intel. And the history of these individuals, I don't think there was any way that you can hundred that you can hundred percent say that you weren't aware that there was not a potential for that. So I think you're going to see a lot of criminal charges filed, and I think you're going to see quite a few terminations. You're going to see policies being visited. Uh, you're going to see a lot of town hall meetings. Uh, you're going to see a lot of chiefs having to answer to their supervisors. So I think it's going to it's going to cause a lot of open dialect with a lot of changes in the way uh, we we hold people accountable. Chief Smith, you got a follow up? Yeah, and I hate to say it, but I agree with uh, with Chief Humphreys. Um, and um, if a person is convicted of a of a felony. They they can no longer be a police officer also, so that that's another piece to that. Yeah, and, and you know, just to add uh, to that, guys, um, you know, I think uh, what's going to come out of this is we're we're starting to see 
uh, other officers turn other officers in because they are uh, affiliated with them on their social media pages where maybe their superiors are not. And so uh, you're going to see, I think this just really shocked a lot of people that even law enforcement uh, were even a part of even attacking other law enforcement uh, officers. So I think this is, you're going to see a lot of, um, uh, a lot of a lot of heads are going to roll, and I think when these officers start facing felony charges and and they're losing their careers, and they're going to be sitting in federal uh, prison, I think this is going to uh, really make some people uh, revisit their opinions about uh, how they feel about you know their beliefs, you know whether it's you know related to you know people in the minority community or but one of the things that we've said on this show, Keith. Uh, is that you cannot put politics in policing. There is no room for politics in policing. And all too often we've seen where guys have brought in politics into policing, and this is a good example. Uh, and, and the question that our listener had was was a good question because, again, I think a lot of people are going to be wondering what type of punishment, if any, are, are these officers going to face. And I think it's going to be out of the hands of, of some of these police departments and their chiefs because they're going to be facing some federal charges. Well, yeah, that too, but you, you understand, and we talked about this before, they, they're going to have appeal rights. And, uh, you know, I mean, you always roll the dice with the appeal rights as far as, uh, you know, for instance, if they are not indicted or not sentenced, uh, they could possibly get their jobs back. Not to say they will, but there is that possibility. Yeah. But, you know, T. Smith, you know, you're, you're the, uh, the military uh, expert here, uh, but we, uh, we definitely want to get your input on this. But, you know, we're getting ready to come up on a, on a break, and I don't want to get caught up in the middle of that. But, uh, but uh, you know, again, this is going to be a really important uh, time again for law enforcement uh, because, again, some things are going to be taken – out of their hands and it's going to be dealt with on a federal level. But uh, as far as the punishment uh, and one of the things is that now this doesn't, these officers are not protected by their, their FOP uh, bargaining rights. So they're going to be facing a whole nother uh, realm of, 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 of discipline and punishment. But, uh, but, but Hey guys, we're going to, take this next break, uh, but uh, we're going to come back and get back into this topic on this special M.O. King podcast show, but you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. It's the two megastars summer mashup, the awesome iPhone on the Rockstar Metro PCS Network. Get the iPhone you've always wanted for zero dollars, so you can jam without limits. It's a hit. Get an iPhone SE on us when you switch. Metro PCS. Coverage not available in some areas, plus sales tax and $10 activation fee. Requires ported of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or on Metro PCS in past 90 days to an unlimited LTE plan. See store for details and terms and conditions. Blog Talk. Napa know-how. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, 
You can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa Know How. Napa Know How. Hit us up to 646-929-0130. The chat room is open. Hit them on their Facebook page as well. And any of their broadcasts you can catch uh, at the website, the rebroadcast at thebastardnewsradionetwork.com, thebastardnewsradionetwork.com. And um, I wanted to go back to Myrna, guys. I believe she still has one more question for uh, the three of you. Go ahead, Myrna. Okay, so I was wondering, what are the chances of a person, an officer, losing their pensions? Um, Not so much just with the police department, but if they're a part of the military. T. Smith, we'll let you... uh... Well, take a the, um, um, for for the police department, you know, it's uh, it's up to individual municipalities and states. So I can't really speak on that. But for the military, if you're if you're convicted of a felony, you have a possibility of losing uh, your pension. And I know that there have been some cases where where officers uh, got in trouble and they. You know, in the military, and they jumped up and retired. But uh, since they were still receiving a pension, the military brought them back on on uh, active duty, did a court martial, reduced them in rank, and put them in in uh, Leavenworth. Wow. Yeah, you know, well, she brings up a good. She brings up a really good point because I, I do know that the majority of the states, the state pensions, uh, 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 an officer's pension cannot be touched. So, you know, they still receive their pension. There are officers in the penitentiary serving time that are still receiving their pension. But Virgil in Oklahoma, I believe, if certain uh, Virgil and James in Oklahoma, if there's certain uh, offenses that someone is charged with, they they forfeit their pension. So, uh, but the majority of the states, you don't, a pension cannot be cannot be touched. Yeah, yeah. In 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 Oklahoma, you're right, uh, Keith. In in that, pensions cannot be, uh, an officer's pension cannot be uh, touched because of, of state law, and and so. But but she also, Myrna, you bring up a good question because. If an officer is 
serves uh, as a police officer, but he also serves uh, as a reserve in the military, then he or she can can face losing their their military benefits. So if they don't lose their municipal uh, retirement benefits, there's a possibility if they do serve in in the National Guard that they can lose those benefits from from serving in the National Guard. Uh, but Myrna, you have any other any any other questions for for our guest uh, T Smith? No, thank you. Well, hey, Myrna, we definitely want to thank you for tuning in and listening to you and the law, and uh, definitely let let all your friends and family know that uh, this is the show you want to listen to on a Tuesday on a Tuesday afternoon on the Bachelor News Radio Network. But definitely uh, listen to us more and and uh, call back in and. With, with any other questions you may have. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. All right, and thank you. Well, hey, guys, you know, uh, I think, you know, our listeners have a lot of questions about, you know, uh, people who are serving uh, as police officers, but they also serve in the National Guard uh, because, again, I, I just don't think we've really – Authorities have really uh, gotten to, you know, even 40% of of what took place uh, on January the 6th of who all was involved in this uh, mob attack on the U.S. Capitol uh, with current retired former former military, uh, current retired uh, law enforcement officers. So this is a big task for the the FBI to undertake as to get into the bottom of who all was involved with this here mob attack on the nation's capital. Hey, hey, Virgil and James, and I, I can tell you there are even citizens uh, going to the um, going to the limit of actually doing open records uh, on the leave time of officers. Uh, to see if they were if they took vacation time during that, and then there's and then assuming that those officers may have been in D.C. So there's a lot of man, there's a lot of questions and a lot of action going on behind this. I mean, I know for a fact that there's an agency here that uh, one of the local bloggers has um, has done uh, open records on, on their mm-hmm. on their leave request and and. Uh, and it's not going to stop here. And that, you know, that's, that's just how serious this is. People want to know what their police officers are doing, what their local police officers are doing, what what extra activities are they involved with. And, and I think people yeah. forget, officers forget, when people pay our salaries, they do have um, a right to do open records on those type of things. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think that's why, you know, guys, it's, it's really important that we have – we're having this topic, you know, the day after, uh, you know, the Martin Luther King holiday and, and you know, we've got our uh, uh, ML King special podcast show about, you know, what Martin Luther King Jr. said in 1963 about police brutality. And, uh, you know, we're talking about police brutality. We're talking about, you know, white uh, supremacy and other, other groups that are in the military ranks that are in the, in, in the law enforcement ranks, and there's, you know, we've we've all talked about the the struggles that the 
the po- police have with with trying to build better relationships with our minority communities. And I just think, guys, this just kind of adds to a bigger problem that uh, the law enforcement community is going to face and the fact that now, you know, Keith, you said this, you take, you know, two steps forward and you, and you take, you know, 20 steps back because when you find out people are in law enforcement and they are a part of these uh, groups, it just further, you know, that trust that people want to have with their police departments and their police officers, it just kind of, you know, bridges that gap that their people don't feel that they can really trust the police who are policing. No, you, you know, and, and I think, go, go ahead, ahead, James, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, uh, I was going to say that, that you are correct, you no, know, but in the past, no, no, there have been, uh, uh, members of the KKK that that's part of the police department has been members of the Masons who were part of the police department, and it, it was hard for them to uh, uh, get minorities or or well women also in the ranks. You know, in the 70s there was a big push to get uh, minorities inside the ranks of the police department. There, but for a while. Um, that's all it was is white males, and yeah. it was acceptable to have uh, KKK members as part of the police department. Yeah, well, and you know, it's, it's interesting we're having this topic, guys, because just uh, I think a couple of nights ago, or it could have been last night, I was watching the, the movie. Uh, what is it, Black Klansman? Based on a true story, where uh, a black police officer infiltrated the KKK. Uh, and I want to say I think it took place in in, in Colorado or, or somewhere where you know he infiltrated the KKK and he was black. And a lot of people, you know, how does a black man infiltrate the the KKK? But it, it a lot of things, you know, a lot of things have have changed. But I just think that culture is is still within the law enforcement community and. This past year was, you know, we definitely saw a lot of it. But I think this just goes back to Charlottesville. I think there's a, I don't think people fully think Charlottesville happened and it just kind of got put on the back burner. But I think that was the buildup of what we, of what we saw. I don't know if you guys agree with me or not, but I just what took place in Charlottesville was a continuation of what we saw on January the sixth. Oh, oh, yeah, man. And, and I will tell you, JT brought up a good point, um, you know, about the infiltration. But guys, you, have to, you have to understand that all I have to do, I can have the same mentality and the same heart. All I got to do is just change my identity and my name, and, and I, that doesn't change my identity and my, and my, and my character. And so that's what's yeah. happened. You know, we, we've gone from the Ku Klux Klan to the Proud Boys, Boogaloo Boys, uh, all these groups, but at the same time, they are they are supremacists. They are extreme right supremacists that have uh, a problem with it. They they feel entitled, and so and so it, it, it's, it's it, it hasn't it hasn't changed. It's the fact that it's just the name has changed, and yeah. and, and when you when you hear the stories from the African American and other minority officers that were at the Capitol. And you hear that they were being called the N word, and, mm-hmm. and 
you know, uh, saying, hey, you know, we got our we got our badges. Let us in the N word. Man, that's that's that is. And, and, and one of the people that was actually beating one of the officers with a flagpole was a was a was a retired firefighter. Yeah. So it 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 just goes to show you that when 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 I'm a part of these type of groups, I think I'm above the law. I think that I can uh, the people will turn their backs because in the past uh, of the history of law enforcement going back to the 40s and 50s. Uh, People did turn their backs on this type of of, of behavior. Uh, people did try to hide this type of behavior, but you can't hide it anymore. And and like like Chief Smith said, you know we we know that still goes on, and you try to hide it, but it's just like you know social media. Thank goodness, you know we talk about social media being a necessary evil, but thank goodness for social media. Uh, thank goodness for those officers that are fed up and they know this is going on. And they're reporting these individuals. You know, thank goodness for that. So, um, this isn't going to stop. I, I think it, I think it's going to be you're going to see uh, a lot more uh, because what happens, guys, and not to not to dwell on this, but what happens is is those individuals fall back on the First Amendment. And we talked yeah. about this last week that people have a have a misunderstanding about the First Amendment. The First Amendment talks about lawful and peaceful mm-hmm. um there's nowhere in the first amendment that it talks about riots or or dis or, or unrest doesn't talk about that but people fall back on that uh and and that's the that's the disturbing thing that you want to use this law to fall back and 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 uh, uh to justify your actions that's what's disturbing yeah definitely Hey, guys, I want to remind uh, our listeners that you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And if you missed, if you're just now tuning in, uh, if you missed, uh, you know, the first part of the show, you can definitely go uh, to the BachelorNewsRadioNetwork.com and uh, check out uh, the full show or, and also check out our previous shows. But today we have uh, on as a guest uh, Chief uh, James Smith, who's with the Lawton, Oklahoma Police Department. He uh, has over 30 years in law enforcement and 30 years uh, retired as a colonel in the in the military. And uh, the guys were coming up on the last couple of minutes of the show. But, uh, you know, Keith okay. Smith, it, it, it's a, a privilege to have you on the show uh, with us uh, uh, and talking about this uh, important topic because I think, you know, our listeners and people around the, the country want to know how law enforcement is dealing with this 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 problem of, of it, you know, we've called it out. You know, it's it, there's it's there's white supremacists in the in the ranks of law enforcement. There's white supremacists in in, in whether it be in the National Guard or in in active duty, and it's something that both the the military and the police industry is going to have to deal with. Can can I say one quick thing? I know you yeah, got to get off, but uh, you know, racism is is just not. Of course, we know this. Racism is just not in law enforcement and in the military, racism has been all through the community, even in in banking, in housing, Mm -hmm. even in teaching. I mean, as there's thousands of stories that uh, uh, young brown and and black kids can talk about that guidance counselors would tell them, 
you know, you need to learn a trade. You can, you shouldn't even think about going to college. And, you know, with housing, it, it's unfair housing laws and stuff like that. But what they did, they created these unfair laws, and they used police to enforce them. To enforce, exactly. So, um, but it, it permeates throughout society uh, for years and years in the past. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely right. Well, hey, guys, you know, I want to, you know, share this with, with you and our listeners that, you know, we're going to have a, a – come February the 2nd, we're going to have a, a special guest on the show, uh, D. Janae Jackson. Guys, if you remember, I don't know if you saw the this video that went viral uh, back last year. She's a, a federal uh, police officer who was pulled over in, I want to say, in Alabama by – uh, a deputy, and uh, it uh, she the way she was treated on that traffic stop uh, shows goes to show you how another law enforcement officer treats another law enforcement officer, and especially a black woman. So, you know, we're going to be having her on the show come February the second. But I wanted to just kind of put that out, and hopefully, you know, people will will definitely um, you know stay tuned and come and, and listen to that show. Uh, because she has a, a, a lot to share with us and our listeners about her experience uh, with with that encounter. But Keith, uh, you um, you guys got any uh, last uh, comments before we uh, before we get off? I'd just like to say if we have any other questions, if you just send them through our our Facebook. We'll, we'll get those questions answered for you. Sorry we weren't able to get everybody's questions. But I just want to thank James, man. He's my boy. And, uh, James, thank you so much for being on. And uh, just thank the listeners for listening in. And, and our producer, L.A., man, thank you for giving us an opportunity. Yeah, again, you know, and- definitely, L.A. And because uh, you, you deal with things behind the boards, and we may not get to all of our, our listeners, but we definitely want to thank everybody for listening to you and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And uh, definitely uh, come back and join us uh, again next Tuesday for You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. All right.
and Jackie give them Paulin's head. The row on the sweetness between the legs. Y'all bend down back way and accept the peg. And if it really at you, know she still now go fled. And some man still know on the panty red. Fear about the business, them love. They say boom, bye, bye, in a body boy. Why not promote the nasty man, them happy days? Boom, bye, bye, in a body boy, eh? Why not promote the nasty man, them happy days? Oh man, is the greatest thing that ever put on the land. Put your love on from head down to foot bottom. But some man are turning around, where them get that slam. Peter is not for Janet, Peter is for Jan. Suzette is not for Paul, Suzette is for Anne. Where the mama clad, them get that slam. Here come the DJ name, but your band and comfy. Shake me a dot, boom, 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 boom. Bye, bye, in a body boy, eh? Why not promote no nasty man, them happy days? Boom, bye, bye, in a body boy, eh. Why not promote no body man, them happy days? Tommy said this is not a monkey, me said this is not a dream. I come near with any new skin must feel. Burn him up bad like a horse how you feel. Warm but your bands and your top. Me say boom, bye, bye, in a body boy, eh. Why not promote no body man, them happy days?
Bachelor Jr. And he's Kevin Bachelor. And this is Smooth Smooth Say. And you're listening to The Bachelor News Radio Show. On the Bachelor News Radio Network.
Got a new song on the radio and I'm very proud of it. It's called I'd Rather Have Love. And we're going to do a little bit of this for you. Hopefully y'all can enjoy it as much as we did performing it. So, Cap, are you ready? How about you, Walt? My man, Leighton, you good? That's my man Steve over here. He's my engineer. All the music y'all been hearing me record, this guy's been behind the boards executing it, you know. Young boy, too. About, what are you, 25? 24? Oh, shit, 24. <laughs> They're getting younger, you, you, you know. Well, let's rock that real quick, player. Take it like we in church. Oh, I was cool in them streets. Yeah, I was cool in them clubs. Real talk, I wasn't thinking nothing about love. I didn't want nobody trying to partake in my stuff. I thought an occasional one night stand would be enough. She ruined my philosophy My heart skips a beat when she comes around I never thought that I'd be ready to settle down I was about to find myself alone But I found myself Told me what a real man should be She said, son, pick one And treat her like me Hey! I took all of her wisdom And I used it for selfish gain And I know if she saw this pimping She'd be ashamed I found this girl She ruined my philosophy My heart skips a beat when she comes around I never thought that I'd be ready to settle down I was about to find myself alone But I found myself alone I know I'm ready for a love of my own. 
God bless. God bless. Thank you so much once again. Thanks to the living room, wonderful establishment. We'll do this again. We'll do this again soon. Very, very soon. Right direction. 
baby, come walk with me. Cause you've been away too long. I can live selfishly, and I know I was wrong. Oh, I embrace it completely. My life has new meaning, yeah. Baby, I cherish you, and I promise to love. Now it's crazy to me. I've been running all this time You waited patiently On a love You would not find Darling, I need you so deeply And your love has set me free Yeah Baby, I treasure you And I promise
Too many people, don't I
yourself reach for 